Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One thing we learned from the weekend's FA Cup third round action. I was going to do one of those five things we learned, but it just it takes too long. One thing we learned from the weekend's FA Cup third round action. Antonio mm. Conte and Josie Mourinho, Murph. Straight up don't like each other. Straight up don't like each other. Well done, <sighs> Ken. Very oh, welcome to Monday you? Second Captain's Football Podcast. Let's slide down there. I own it. It's all right, Karen. We'll allow you to sit through. You can stay in studio for the rest of the podcast. But I'll be quiet, I swear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't contribute too much. We're not quite talking Mark Hughes, Martin Yall level of animosity here, but it's nasty stuff nonetheless. Blank stares all around. You don't remember Martin Yall versus <laughs> no. Mark Hughes? Well, well, they'd have popped at each other after a QP or Fulham game a few years back. I'm reading from an old independent article. Okay. Agitated by the fact his QPR side had just been beaten by former team Fulham, Mark Hughes didn't take kindly to Martin Yall's conciliatory pat on the back of the head. The Welshman accused his Dutch counterpart of being, in inverted commas, slightly patronising and shoved his hand away. <laughs> <laughs> so the insults in Jose versus Conte, nothing as vicious as that, but just match-fixing, senility, that kind of thing. Um, okay. Pro Mark Hughes, they have a job. Yeah, maybe now's not the time to be picking on Mark Hughes for he, an opening gambit on the podcast. He, lost he has had a lot of run-ins with people over handshakes, though, Mark He's Hughes. had a lot of run-ins. This, on the, in that same independent article, it's from a few years back, chron- uh, you know, basically putting t- together a good few of these incidents. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them are obviously... Wenger's Veng- in a load of them, yeah. and Pardew's in a few. Hughes is in three or four of them. Well, Hughes... The one I remember was the Fabregas, but it was, that was Fabregas taking him on. But did Blackburn beat Arsenal? And Fabregas is like, hey... You used to play for Barcelona, right? And Hughes is like, yes. And probably goes, because that wasn't Barcelona football. That was not Barcelona football. This is like uh, Blackburn had not played in the Barcelona style, according to Fabregas. The one you're talking about was Wenger, wasn't it? There's a Wenger-Hughes oh, no, handshake issue that I've got in front of me in that yeah, same article. Even I'm Just in a more general sense, anytime there's... He, he's a great man to look extremely annoyed at other managers when he's shaking hands, even when he bothers going through the formality of shaking hands at the end of a game. He's often just giving out for some reason. He had a comp, uh, I suppose uh, pop at Gareth Southgate one year, according yeah. to this article as well. 
Uh, I'm talking more about Mark Hughes than I'd intended to. But oh, yeah. About, uh, give us a chronology of events, Ken, and the a chronology of a feud between Mourinho and Conte. Well... What happened when? Who said what? Give me the juicy stuff. So, so Conte, or, or Mourinho, first of all, said, said um, you know, I'm, I'm still passionate about this job. Uh, That's fair. That's a tame start. People, people. There was an there was a, an article that appeared in the Daily Mail saying, "Oh, Jose Mourinho figures that Manchester United are worried that he may step down at the end of the season as he's become disillusioned." And it was all about how he was always he was always trying to get out of Manchester all the time, and you know he was even to the extent of hiring a private jet so he could get out of there, you know, in, in as quick as quickly as possible, using the small amount of time he had available to be out of the city to its maximum effect. Um. And and he was saying, look, this is a lot of fake news. And he said, this is phony reporting. Uh, <laughs> you know, he said, I am as passionate about this as ever. And he said, uh, just because I don't act like a clown on the touchline, jumping up and down like a clown, doesn't mean that I'm not, you know. And so everyone was like, oh, right, there's Jose having a, having a pop at, having a pop at Klopp. And also at uh, Conte, who we'd seen, you know, beating his fists. We, we talked about it uh, last week beating his fists to get on the ground when uh, Chelsea missed a chance against Arsenal. So it was put to Conte the next day in his pre-Norwich, uh, Norwich, Chelsea playing Norwich in the uh, Cup on Saturday. Um, and this was put to Conte. Well, you know, you've, uh, you said, you know, he doesn't need to act like a clown, like, you know, certain people. <clears throat> and uh, Conte said, well, maybe he's talking about himself. Um, and he said, maybe he has... Hmm, Demenza senile, uh, which just translates as senile dementia. Uh, because, you know, it's a risk that this may happen to you. As you become old, you no longer remember events of your own life. And he talked about Mourinho, some of the, some of the kinds of things that he's, uh, he had done. Uh, I'm, there's a person that l- continues to look here. You understand? He went away, but he continues to look here. I'm starting to be a bit annoyed, Conte said. If you want to fight with me, I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, he says, I'm not prepared like other persons to make a cinema. I am not this type of person. But then he went on to say, <laughs> "It is. do you think Jose Mourinho does cinema, as you say, to distract from his poor performances and results? Conte says, I don't know. Now it is very difficult to do only cinema. Maybe in the past with the cinema it was enough. Now you have to show football knowledge. And the cinema is not enough for a coach. Oof. 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 <laughs> Cheap shot. Mm. Now you have to show football knowledge. Can't get away with all this BS. This um, Posturing for the cinema, for the media. That used to be the uh, used to be the case. So anyway, Manchester United, as it, as it happened, luckily enough, we're playing that night against Derby. One two 0 Another banger from Jesse Lingard in there. Uh, Rashford smacked one over the bar. And Mourinho said he he scores unbelievable goals in training and misses unbelievable chances on the pitch. Ouch! <laughs> but but that wasn't all Mourinho talked about. And we're going to play. I know we played in in the last uh, football podcast quite a long clip from Arsene Wenger because it was worth it. We're now going to play a long clip from Jose Mourinho. Uh, and this is him addressing this whole Conte thing that, that happened. And I have to say that I think this is a masterpiece. This is a masterpiece. And listen to it and you will, you will understand why. I think the press should apologize to me and to him. Because um, 
the question that comes to him is uh, completely wrong. And because of that, he had that um, out-of-control reaction. <laughs> but I don't blame him at all. Uh, I was asked about my passion. And you know, because most of you were in my, in my press conference, I was speaking about myself. And then uh, the question to the Chelsea manager was, like I told that he behaves like a clown. Probably the journalist want to say that, but didn't have the courage to say that. Probably. So he told Mourinho, told that you behave as a clown. So I don't blame the Chelsea manager at all. And I understand his reaction. I was speaking about myself, uh, saying that I don't need to behave as a clown um, to show uh, passion, that um, I control my, my emotions in a better way. Everybody knows I don't need the Chelsea manager to say that I made mistakes in the past and I will make in the future, hopefully. Um, I know that I celebrate goals uh, running 50 meters. I celebrate goals sliding in on my knees. I, I, I got um, uh, celebrations jumping to the, uh, to the crowd. Uh, I'm not free of that, especially if, if we score a, a winning goal in a specific um, moment. I'm not free to have an a out-of-control reaction. But what I was trying to say is that uh, I behaved bad a few times and uh, in this moment I control myself much better. Doesn't mean that my passion is not the same. So a wrong question and obviously uh, a strong answer, but I don't blame, you know. The only thing I want to say to end the story is that yes, I made mistakes in the past on the touchline, yes, I will make less, but I think I will still make a few. What never happened to me and will never happen is to be suspended for match fixing. <laughs> that never happened to me and will never happen. <laughs> Can you believe that? Can you uh, believe that? That was a. a I, what, what do they call it? Like, kind of a narrative arc that he, he, he took us all for a big long walk. Yeah, a and nice then whacked walk, us over the head with a two sucker before, punch right, right at the end. I wasn't talking about him, the Chelsea manager. <laughs> I wasn't talking about him. That is just a masterpiece of trolling. Like a a fifty four year old man, you know, to to do that. I, I've got to say, he went up in my estimation when I saw that. What did you? What was so admirable about it? Well, I just, I just feel like the whole thing, like because you would, you would honestly believe, listening to the, 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 the sort of the, the calm, the, the, the way that he was speaking. You know, there was almost a kind of earnestness in his tone. I feel like he's actually being sincere here. Like he, he, he almost is, is sort of. He's admonishing the, the press. He's obviously saying, you know, obviously we've got, we've had some phony reporters who, who would like to say these things themselves and encourage and. You know, and, and I obviously was only talking about myself, and I've, I know I've behaved badly, and, you know, mea culpa. And, you know, no, absolutely there, you know? don't blame the Chelsea manager for that, out, for that out of control reaction. Totally understand where he was coming from. You know, the only thing I'll say is that match fixing, you know, you won't find me fixing matches. <laughs> <laughs> you got you to say, like, so Conte's reaction to that was, I mean, he's trembling. We're not going to play any more clips. I mean, you can see, I advise you go and, go and watch his post Norwich. Um, press conference on YouTube, you get to see a, an exchange between him and Paul Rowan where Paul Rowan is saying but what is it that Paul Rowan at the Sunday Times 
you know, what is it? What one thing would you say Jose Mourinho's done that's most that most makes you call him a little man and a small man with a low profile or a little man and a fake man? <laughs> you know, and uh, well, there was a time at Ranieri. He he insulted Ranieri because Ranieri couldn't speak his English. Then then Ranieri gets sacked and he puts on a shirt for Ranieri. You know, and. Uh, I mean, so it's it's hypocrisy, two facedness seems to, to be the, the biggest crime. That was the big thing that that uh, Conte was, but but a little little man. He must have called Mourinho a little man fifteen times. A little man with a low profile. He's been like this in the past. He'll be like this in the future. I mean, really, like it's yeah. I I haven't seen such venom in a in a very long time. Such such naked contempt, you know, from one sort of. Uh, one high-profile coach to another. Conte went into a lot of detail, I think, before he launched into his attack in just explaining that I wasn't actually suspended for match-fixing. I was suspended for failing to inform the authorities about... Well, I don't know if even, even he said that, but that's essentially what happened. He didn't... He knew, Failing he, to report. He apparently knew something that was going on in Siena, didn't report that, got suspended after a very long process, ends up getting that overturned. Which included a plea bargain. Uh, he was going to pay something like 200 grand... Um, and take a short ban in exchange for a non-admission of guilt. But that was rejected. <laughs> he ended up being suspended for like 10 months, but eventually the whole thing was overturned. I mean, it's it's one of these Italian justices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll Italian talk to Gabriele about it and see if he can make out a tale of it. You know, it's 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 always difficult now. But yeah, it, things have things have really got, got a bit nasty there. I do have to salute Mourinho, though. I, I mean, for the first is, time in a long time, I do. I have to. I have to salute him. That was just because I, I, I was. I was watching it, and I was kind of. I'd. I'd read the quotes. I was saying, and I'd kind of forgotten. And I was. I wasn't. I was just watching this video, and then, and I was kind of looking. I like, go, oh, well, you know, maybe this is plausible. He's obviously just trying to sort of shut this thing down. And then suddenly he comes out with that at the end, and you're like, all right, I see. And now I. Now I see. Now I see. I'm sorry. You got. You, I, I fell asleep for a minute there, but I've I've woken up now. You sound very steady this weekend. Our World Service members last week were tre- treated to a slightly more volatile version of you. Is there is there a more crashing bore in the whole world? I'm not talking about sport. The whole world than the pro Jose Mourinho. <laughs> what was embarrassing about that? Manchester United won that game. In case you hadn't noticed. Yes, I know. You're playing in the Premier League and you don't score for nearly a year. You're a striker. And you don't score for nearly a year. <laughs> you have to accept that that's not really good enough. It's not really. So what odd. I'm saying is to this guy, cheer up. How about you fucking wake up, wake up, wake up to what's happening in the in the world, and stop sending me messages about cheering up on Twitter. Yeah, that's what it sounds like when a man goes off the smokes for the new year. Less prickly this week so far, Ken, but still off them. Hmm. Yes. You're uh, steadying. Your nerves are steadying. Well, I mean, I'm into the vivid dreams phase. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm sure, that's fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, insomnia last week, so vivid dreams. These are sleeping. Dreaming anything is better than insomnia. I had a I had a strange one there the other day where, where I was hanging out with Ivor Crotty of Russia Today. <laughs> uh, former Ivor, guest on your Ivor, podcast. Ivor Crotty was our guest on yeah. uh, on the political podcast. And uh, somehow or other, I'd ended up being one of the kind of main contenders to take over from, from Vladimir Putin. As the Russian leader, okay, yeah, uh, and there was various magazines doing features on me. I was kind of, I was like this, this sort of dashing young oligarch, going around, uh, 
modest, self-effacing interviews where I was like, well, you know, I, I don't even speak Russian and I'm not Russian, so mm. it's a long shot, but it would obviously be a dream. It, it, is, normal, it is normal to be excited. Uh, my hair looks amazing in these, in these photos. Sure, dude. There's no point dreaming if you're not going to have great hair. So that was, that was... Cheer up. How about you fucking wake up? Wake up. So that was, uh, I eventually did, and didn't get the gig. It was just did, a. Did you get? Did you get the big gig? In the, uh, no, I think I, I woke up before before it ended. I, Ivor was was a great help. Uh, <laughs> was a great help in explaining what was going on to me. It made it made sense in the dream. Maybe not anymore. To follow Ken's attempts to kick the nick, you'll want to sign up to the World Service and SecondCaptains.com for five euro a month. Was that? It's nicotine, Murph. Yeah, yeah, we we got there. All that was, I no, I'm not going to boo my presenter, Simon. I would never do that. But R- report you on did sport. deserve it. Well, it was FA Cup weekend, Owen, uh, as we know. A uh, bit of a holiday for us football fans. Uh, there was a big <laughs> you had to do something else with your time than watching football all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> there was a big uh, a big transfer. Uh, big mega transfer, mega money deal. And they've been doing the unveiling today. Uh, Philippe Coutinho is the new number 14 at Barcelona, I believe. I think they finally allocated him a number. There was a lot of, they, they seemed to take ages to give him the number. Uh, I don't know if that's 14. That's just that's just a rumor at this stage. Owen. Thank you, at Phil Coutinho, for your determination and the desire to come to our club. Welcome to Barca, says uh, Jose Bartomeu, the president of Barcelona. Thank you for your determination and desire to come to our club. That's interesting wording, isn't it? <laughs> well done on pushing that move through. Philly left us with no choice but Andy, to sign you. Yeah, his, his cell at Liverpool just has a big poster of Rita Hayworth on the wall. <laughs> and, and a tunnel all the way down through the Bay of Biscay to, you know, emerging at the cab now. It's taken five years, but he's eventually got there. I mean, how often do you look at a man's football boots, Ken? <laughs> Jordi Mestre, vice president of Barcelona, says, Felipe, thank you. We know you have made a huge effort, personally and economically, to come to Barca. Economically? What? Uh, this is because it turns out they're, they're putting it about that Coutinho actually has paid 11 million for himself, 11.5 million of his own transfer fee. He's paid 11 million to, to, of his own transfer fee to make the deal happen. Uh, which, is, which is one way of putting it. No player has ever been so committed as to literally buy himself and send himself to, bar- <laughs> to his new club. That's how desperate he was to get out of uh, of Liverpool and English football and to play with uh, Lionel Messi and, Luis, and again with Luis Suarez. Um, although, of course, what, he, what has actually happened is that it's been knocked off his his salary package, which was the, the for the original deal. Uh, the the this all the documents all came out through football leaks in September, and the package was 115 million over five years, so 23 million a year. So, if it was the same, and there's no reason why it would be the same, because the transfer fee is that much higher that you would expect the wages to also have increased, um, to have to have increased in proportion. But maybe they didn't. If they didn't, then we're talking about 11 million pounds, which is what 13 or 14 million euros off the 115 million euros, so it's only 20 million a year that he'll be making. I still don't get why. Why did he have to make this sacrifice? Oh, because Barcelona are about to implode financially, at least um, that's what they say when they're negotiating. <laughs> or, you know, they, they say, oh, we can't make this deal happen. You know, the the overall 
financial the size of the deal is is too big for us to take at this time would you consider taking a little bit less off if we basically if we paid you less money we'd give the money to them and then they'd agree mm. and he says oh okay so but but you're still talking about a guy who's more than doubling his wages to make this even at the reduced wages and that's based on the previous the previous offer from you know six months ago and not what may have been the offer now so you know he hasn't what I'm trying to say is it hasn't actually cost him a huge amount of money to make this move. You know, he's actually netted a lot of money. And then, of course, there's a whole Barcelona, I'm sure, will be happy to help him with the um, tax uh, the, the tax adjustments that have to be made as he moves countries. It can be a thorny issue. You know, it's, it's nice to know that you, your employer will have your back in that area. Try and make it as easy and as hassle-free as possible. Yeah. Hassle-free now, maybe some hassle down the line, but perhaps not. Now, there's a couple of interesting things about the transfer. Is is number one, obviously the fact that it was announced on New Year's Eve accidentally by Nike, who knew who knew it was going to happen on, on, as early as New Year's Eve, and in fact, obviously earlier than that. Also, the fact that Luis Suarez has already organised a house for Coutinho. <laughs> like, well, that is handy. I mean, Suarez has organised a gaff. Uh, and, you know, this, for instance, and also the, the fact that there was a fly-on-the-wall article or, or coverage of this in uh, uh, in the Daily Mail. Was it, was it the Sunday Mail or was it Sports Mail online? I, I read it on the Daily Mail's website. Sports Mail was given unprecedented access in the final days before the move with Chief Sports Photographer Andy Huber and Head of Sport Lee Clayton. So Head of Sport Lee Clayton joins Philippe Coutinho as he waits for confirmation of the move in a London hotel with his charming wife and little daughter. And pff, nothing happens. I mean, I was flicking. I'm, I'm going down through there. I'm like, did they talk? <laughs> did Katina say anything? This must have got awkward after the first, you know, four or five hours of silence. No, it was just uh, Netflix and chill. They were just all watching. We'll watch another episode. Go on, we'll watch another episode. There are a few. While we're waiting for Barcelona to call us here, there are are a few great photos of of Coutinho sitting, watching attentively the Liverpool Everton FA Cup match. You can see him. He's really he's he's sitting forward on the edge of his seat, just eyes big as saucers, just drinking in the spectacle from Anfield. (laughs) He just just loves his old teammate until until he signed in the dotted line. He's still a Liverpool player. Yeah. And he wants them to get through that round, that FA Cup third round game, which of course they did. So delighted. Um, but now they've or- they've organised the gaff. I mean, that's that strikes me as as though a little bit of tapping up. Well, sorry, re- rental or no? I mean, a per- per- purchase. So he's bu- buying a house, um, and the house is ready to go. Has he even has he even viewed it, Ken? Luis, going to be jumping into these things. Um, has he? Uh, one possible residence has already been chosen by an unlikely source, writes um, Sportsmail head of sport, Lee Clayton. Um, uh, the player who signed for the... There is no need for a hotel. I already have a house. Uh, the player who signed for the house is Luis Suarez. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's, that's pretty good. It might just be sale agreed. It takes a few months then for the <laughs> solicitors to exchange. His, he actually got the mortgage approval during the summer, but it could have run out by the time he actually signs the deed. So he has yeah. to just make sure just it's see your current account details again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there was there was obviously a three lot pay, of three pay slips. A lot of this 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 move has or, has been organised a long way in advance. You know, so the clubs I have to say did reasonably well to to keep the confirmation of it under wraps until Nike 
who I think are the are one of the most important parties to the transfer, uh, blabbed it out. I saw that. Was, this is your angle in your Irish Times column this morning again. Yeah. It's all about Nike. What's the deal here? Well, they're the ones who are, who are making it happen now as opposed to in six months' time. They really need to have a... They sponsor Coutinho, they sponsor Barcelona, and they sponsor Brazil. Now, what links Coutinho, Barcelona, and Brazil as of now? Nike. Yeah, well, not Nike, and you know, Coutinho now is 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 he's in a perfectly uh, synergized position ahead of the World Cup in all of these. They now can sell. Barcelona are the are the biggest selling foreign club in Brazil in terms of all the gear that Nike sells. I mean, they, Nike also sponsored PSG, who are um, the club where Brazil's current biggest star, Neymar, plays. But PSG aren't a club that's really yet got much of a profile in Brazil, Neymar notwithstanding. Uh, Barcelona, though, do. But it always helps to have a local boy. And, and they do have a local boy because they signed Paulinho. That was the first thing they did when Neymar was like, oh, quickly, we need a Brazilian. They got Paulinho. Uh, I mean, they have Rafinha, but Rafinha is kind of one of these Brazilians who's like... You know, no, not many people in Brazil would necessarily have heard of this man. You know, Paulinho is at least a regular international, but Coutinho is a star. And, you know, to have him in there, they reckon this is an important thing. And When you say it's them that are pushing through, though, Nike, yeah. how do they have... Do they hold sway over the club or over the player? How, how, who are they talking to to make sure this deal happens quickly? They, get, they pay Barcelona 155 million euros a season. Hmm. And with that, you think they might actually throw a few... Yeah. Might be a few meetings, a few add-ons? Yes. We think this would be no a really... No such thing as a free lunch. <clears throat> we, think this would be, we think this would be a really good idea. <laughs> we, we, we think this is a, is, a, is a really good idea. I mean, the, the history with the, the two companies goes back... Or the, the two companies, I say, well, Barcelona and Nike goes back uh, a long way. I mean, it's been a, a times thorny relationship. Sandro Rossell was the... You know, who's still in jail at the moment, was the was um, the former Nike executive who was the president of Barcelona for a while. Um, but, you know, they've been uh, they've been tied for a long time, and this was an important deal, I think, from Nike's perspective. Um, but, look, that's... Uh, the, there was... You could see also the social media angle. Like, they, they put out this video of, of like, the, the Barcelona account is, like, following all Coutinho's social media, and it's, like, it's the unsubtle nudges to all the Barcelona supporters to follow the same social media through which there's shortly going to be having Nike products um, marketed at them in the guise of cutesy personal photos of um, of this new Barcelona hero. Although how much of a hero he's going to be, we don't know. Because there was like 6,000 people there for his, for his unveiling, which is a little bit embarrassing. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's not a huge crowd. It's... You know, it's not. It, it doesn't suggest as though the city of Barcelona is electrified. It is a Monday afternoon in and January. In January, so it does get fiendishly cold. Well, I suppose maybe not. <laughs> no. <laughs> maybe a bit of rain. Maybe what I'm saying. It's not a week. It's not a weekend. People are at work. Yeah. Well, I I, I think so they, it doesn't stop many thousands turning up to see Bale and Ronaldo get unveiled for yeah um, I mean I'm pretty sure the Ronaldo one was at night though wasn't because they had a whole light show and everything I mean that Bernabeu was was packed for that one Um, but I think that was in the evening time I don't know if we can make a direct comparison there but uh, we will talk to Dermot Corrigan a bit about um, how much of a sensation this is because I kind of feel as though it's not a sensation 
over there, you know, in the sense that it's like, uh, yeah, okay, fair enough. We'll see where this guy fits in. You know, he'll he'll battle for his place. Um, whereas whereas at Liverpool, it's once again confirmation of their of their second tier status. You know, at best. I mean, if you looked at Coutinho's social media, you know, you see all the messages on every single on every single photo on Instagram. Snake, snake. You know, and and snake is the nicest thing that's written there. And you just it's amazing just how venomous fans become. And, you know, this is a club that's literally just signed Van Dyke, right? It's the same thing. Did you see Matt Letizia's tweet? No. It was like, oh, it's not great when you become a feeder club, is it? Or it's pretty annoying when you become a feeder club. This is Letizia talking about Southampton, who've had player after player, you know, join Liverpool. I mean, how many? Lovren, Lallana, Lambert, Mane. Um, Klein. Klein, the Ox, of course, is a say, you know, he he went to Arsenal in the interim. Um, and now Van Dyke, mm. <laughs> I mean, that's that's ridiculous yeah. degree of predation on one club. Now, these players might all have left, but it is annoying if the same club keeps taking the players. This has happened with Liverpool, with Barcelona, with Mascherano, Suarez, and now Coutinho. Um, you know, these are the sort of top players. But, you know, the, the piece that I'd written today was about this, this like, this uh, fabled lure of the Spanish, the Spanish clubs, which is entirely financially based. It really, well, entirely is too much. I would say that it's 75% financial. I mean, there's, the, there's, this, there's a certain amount of glamour and history and so on. I mean, that's, like, that's what Liverpool tried to, tried to do, use to sell themselves. Well, and cultural history. similarities. That's the other point that's made about the South Americans. That they're going to find it easier to settle in Barcelona than they are in Manchester. Yeah, I don't know though. I mean, Liverpool and Barcelona are probably more similar than Rio de Janeiro and Barcelona. If you've been to both cities, like, mm, I'd say, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that Liverpool and Barcelona are similar cities. I'm just saying Barcelona and Rio are really different, like totally different. There's nothing in Europe. There's nothing in Europe like Rio de Janeiro. You know, it's culturally speaking, I'm not sure there's they're that close a fit. Well, certainly the point that you were making in the Irish Times this morning was that there are some things that can help soften the blow. This that can help that transition from one culture to another culture. Yeah, if you give that person twenty three million euros a year when he was only making nine. The culture suddenly doesn't seem to be that big of a obstacle to overcome. Look at look at Aguero, Aguero. Literally can't speak English. He's been in England since 2011. So it's it, this is going to be his seven-year anniversary this year. And he still can't speak English. Does he not trot English out in interviews? No, not, not when he does interviews. Maybe he can speak a little bit of English, but isn't quite confident enough to use it in his post-match interview. But no, he, he speaks Spanish. I mean, I saw him re- just recently doing a TV interview after one of his matches, and he's got an interpreter there. He's speaking. He speaks. It's just like wow. You really, you really can't be bothered. But for some reason or other, he's he's there playing for Manchester City, a club that I bet he had never heard of before he signed for. Thought he thought it was Manchester United, probably. As no, Fabinho did. I don't think. I don't. I, I think maybe he would have. He probably would have heard of them by then because they'd already been throwing money around for three years by the time that Aguero arrived. But it certainly wasn't like his dream to grow up. You know, when he, when he was playing on a, you know, Potrero in, in Buenos Aires to play for Manchester City. Not a single child in the whole city had that dream. Uh, and yet here he is. It's not, a, it's not really about dreams. You know, Coutinho maybe dreams of playing knockout football in the Champions League. Well, it's going to be 2019 before that happens. But, you know, this is the way, uh, this is the way it is. But as long as, 
as long as those clubs are prepared to pay way more than the next, uh, than, than way, to, to star players, as long as they're prepared to pay way more than English clubs are prepared to pay, which for the main, most part they are, they will continue to be at the top. And you can see that now the Paris Saint-Germain are doing that. They've suddenly, it's suddenly Paris that like all the, the kids like Neymar <laughs> dreamed of, uh, I've, I've dreamed of La Ville Lumiere. You know, that's the way that it works. So um, Liverpool will continue to be, you know, the, the point about it is that, okay, uh, Alonso, Abeloa, Marcherano, Suarez and uh, Coutinho, all South American and Spanish players. Owen and McManaman, Michael Owen of Chester, Steve McManaman of Kirkdale, right? <laughs> like, I mean, they also went to, to Real Madrid for the same reason. 25% history, 75%. I can't believe how much money these guys are going to pay. Would you like one more story in this Portland sport? Oh, please. Uh, we've got a couple. I mean, Arsenal got knocked out. Um, I mean, there's something. There's, what, what, there's not much to say about it. What was David O'Leary doing sitting next to Arsenal? Wenger? I didn't realise he had a role at the club. I Jens, saw him in the background there, yeah. Jens Lehmann is a, is a kind of a coach at Arsenal these days, I think. Um, Pat Rice was there. He'd been he, promoted retired. to uh, awkwardly listening to Arsene Wenger <laughs> diatribes. He'd been promoted to that extremely testing role. Uh, for the match yesterday, though. It was How such you... an embarrassing goal. They conceded the first goal. The, the Oh, my God. Better, yeah. What an embarrassment. Like What a disgrace. How could they have done that? You know, all these players... The only thing I was thinking was, okay, maybe they, maybe they feel that they don't actually... I mean, if you're going to have a wall, which is, the, which is the decision they've made, you're going to have a wall there which puts the offside line, you know, two yards out from your, from your goal then either don't have a wall or you have to you, you obviously can't have players standing 4 yards in front of that offside line you know along the 6 yard line allowing a player to just walk in unmarked and stand in front of the goalkeeper and head the ball which is what happened just don't have a wall in the first place that's don't, don't have a wall the reason for a wall is to stop shots that mm. are likely to go in from angles that you can score from yeah I don't know when it became a thing where you stick a couple of lads over to stop a cross coming in. It's that any competent free kick taker is going to be able to get the ball over them anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, in that, in that, from that position, I don't see what the need was for it. Maybe they thought they were they're going to be crowding the goalkeeper if they stood in line with the wall, but it looked as though they just hadn't re- remembered that that wall was was taking away their cunning plan to put the offside line. You know what I mean? It really that's the way it looked. Very very embarrassing for. Team, but look, this is Arsenal. Yeah, it's the first time they've lost at this stage of the competition under Arsene Wenger, so it really does look as though this is the last season for Wenger. I know we've been saying that every year for the last four or five it's years. Turning. It's turning, blood. I mean, no one even watches Arsenal fan TV anymore. No, that's the first Arsenal time that club, yeah, that's the first time that clip has left me cold. Normally, it gets me excited, I love it, it gives me a bounce into the second half of the podcast. This time, I'm not sure. Just seriously, shut the fuck up. Okay, tonight. Well, that's a good one. That is a good one. That's got me going. But no, you know, it's not really. Um, even got, I saw Jack Wilshere's gun, gluten free. That is big reason why he's playing better now. Quack Wilshere. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if the gluten free is. You don't believe in the gluten free diet? Uh, I, I mean, I think if you're celiac, yes, but I'm not sure that many people are celiac. So, uh, look, I don't know. I'm not an expert on. Um, well, the other thing I want to mention though is the. Tonight is a significant night, significant night in the history of English football because it is... Um, V-A-R. 
V-A-R. Sing it with me, Ken. V-A-R. Now, I've read a couple of articles about the VAR, and I saw that they, there was a seminar with Mike Riley and a, and a lot of journalists sitting there with, with, with sort of furrowed brows. I could see our friend Miguel Delaney sitting there at the front of the class, you know, with a slightly furrowed brow. And I, and I was reading the articles, and I'm still not really any clearer as to how exactly this thing is going to work. The one thing that I feel, having read these articles, is that they're making a complete balls of this. They're making a total bollocks of it. So it's... Okay, Mike Riley claimed that 96% of decisions are accurate from referees. They want to increase that to 98% by getting 50% of the 4% that, you know... I don't know why it should only be 50% of the incorrect decisions that VAR is going to... I mean, that doesn't actually sound like that much of an improvement. Although 96, 98, you know, is better than 96, sure, okay. But the the question is, when, when is this really supposed to actually be used? And, and uh, I mean, it's like, at what point... Okay, so so the idea is that it's only going to be <clears throat> um, focusing uh, focusing on clear and obvious errors... Minimum interference, maximum benefit. Okay, we can all agree with that. The, so there's so there's four match-changing situations VR will focus on checking. Whether a goal should stand, penalty awards, direct red cards, and mistaken identity. Now, mistaken identity doesn't happen very much. Forget about that one. Um, whether a goal should stand, that happens a lot. It means every goal, every goal automatically gets VAR'd. Is that, is that the way that this is going to be? Penalty awards, well, that happens quite a lot in the game. You know, doesn't it? There's, there's a lot of... Potential penalty awards. Every single game. There's, there, are pen, there are penalty appeals in every single game. And direct red cards. Well, what's a direct red card? You know what I mean? Like, say, for instance, they say... Str- straight reds. They, they say, for yeah, but so it's, 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 it's when the referee has given a red card. I assume so, yeah. Yeah, but, the, but then there is also... It, that's only the direct red cards that have already been given. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. The what to do about the one... Uh, that should have been given. That should be a direct mm. red card. Simulation yeah. outside the area won't be looked at. Um... Bookings can be given if simulated. It's too complicated. It's bollocks, right? This whole system is nonsense. There is a simple, there's a simple way to do this, an obvious and simple way to do this, which is to say, okay, we can check. We, we have the technology to check. What, okay, first, let's start with this. What is the point of doing this? To get more decisions right and for extra fairness. Incorrect. What, the actual point of having this is to stop the moaning from the managers, the incessant moaning from managers and teams who feel as though they have been hard done by. We've been we've been screwed by that. You know, we've been ridden rock solid by the by the people up in Dublin. Or we're, you know, that that sort of that feeling of we uh, the world's against we've been we've been screwed by that decision. So the whole point of using the technology, it's not to get more decisions, right? That seems to be where Mike Riley's starting from. It's to ease, it's to soothe everyone's rage. Right, it's to it's to make people feel as though this is now fairer. You see, mm-hmm. that's what I think is for anyway. Because because the, the whole problem here is is the is the outrage like from from people like Wenger. You know, Wenger's storming in, getting himself suspended for three matches. You know, just last week. Oh, you're a disgrace! Um, putting pressure on referees and all this kind of stuff. The, we're trying to stop this. And and the, the pro- we have this problem, the the system we used to have, the referee would just give a decision, everyone just had to abide by it, has been undermined by the fact that everyone can now see the decision is wrong in excruciating detail from loads of different angles in super slow mo. Okay, we, th- it's a different situation, so we need a different 
we, we now need a different method. The, the, but the solution that they're looking at here is not going to work because what, what they've done is create another unaccountable and distant authority. I mean, the, the, the actual video referee is going to be in some studio in Uxbridge, not even in the stadium, right? Not even there when this is happening. And people won't get to see what, what they're looking at. They just, there's just this pause while everyone in the stadium waits for some guy in Uxbridge okay. to decide on something that he's actually decided whether or not needs to be VAR'd. And everyone is like, why is this, a, like, why is this happening? So it's not responsive to the rage of the participants. Mm. The power to use this system has to be put into the hands of the participants in order to make them feel better. Yeah. So the managers need to be allowed. The managers are, are as, the, as basically the representative of each team, should be the ones who are given the chance to avail of the VAR so as in three reviews, a challenge. Yeah, three challenges. Three is too much. Two. The NFL system is, is, is decent. Now, the NFL have, have done this a couple of times. They brought in video review in 1986 on a similar kind of basis to what the, what the FA are doing now, like in the sense that it was this sort of like, it, it didn't have anything to do with the teams. It was just like, oh, we think there's been a mistake there. Some bunch of referees like huddle in the stand would be like, oh, there's a mistake. Let's VAR. Oh, the referee would come over and look at the evidence and then everyone would stand around for a while and then they'd be like, right, and they'd rule one way or the other, annoying one side and making and the, giving the other side relief, whatever the decision was. But it wasn't up to either of the sides to call this in. It just arrived almost arbitrarily, like a kind of a, oh, the whims of some distant god, you know, that didn't care about its, you know, the suffering subjects crawling around the surface of the planet. Now, and it didn't work. Everyone just, it just annoyed everyone. And they eventually banned it. So then they were like, okay, we, we should bring it back in. Because again, you have the same problem of, oh, the referees get every decision wrong. Why are these referees so incompetent slash corrupt and so on and so forth? But when they brought it back in the second time, they, it was with the challenge system. It was like, okay, the actual problem here isn't that referees are incompetent, it's that you can't stop moaning about decisions that go against you. So here you have two challenges per game, and if you think there's a problem, and you can say, okay, I, I, I want a challenge. And you have to, like, it's quite stagey, you have to run up and throw a flag on the field. Ah! You know, I demand justice. It's quite exciting because you're watching, I was watching one of the playoff games yesterday, and there's a moment where the Buffalo Bills get a slightly dodgy call in their favour, and the commentators are saying, oh, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars coach has to throw the flag in here. Yeah, he has to challenge that. Where's the but, flag? But the Bills just do this hurry-up offense, and the quarterback just throws it away. Gets, just does a play where he makes no yards at all, but it means that once you've, once you've executed the following play, you can't then, the other team can't go back and challenge it. Yeah. So there's only a split second. But in fairness, in the NFL, it's very easy because everything, there is no flow to the game anyway. So mm. there's no issues with interrupting the flow. It's, it's, almost, it's made for video replays. But, but the, thing about, the thing about this is that if it's, if it's up to the participants to decide when this should come in, then it, may, it means, okay, so the NFL also penalizes you for, you get two challenges in a game. If you get both of those challenges right, you will, you, you're allowed to have an extra challenge. You're, so you, you could have a, a maximum of three in a game. But if you get one wrong and one right, then... You've, you've got it. And, and also, if you get one wrong, you lose a timeout. So that's a quite a big penalty. It's, you know, to, to stop people from uh, trivially, or, or what's the word? Um, they, do, they do it in Tennessee all the time. You see them, they, they know full well, a player knows full well that it's out, but he just wants to interrupt the flow a bit, interrupt mm. the rhythm of the opponent, so he'll, he'll call it. And te tennis is quite well suited to it as well, because it's, it's, a simple, it's a simple game in the sense that 
the only reason this is being challenged is to see well where did the ball go? Yeah. Did the ball land in or out? Did it hit? Did, you know, did it, that that's all you're looking yeah. at for. It's not to interpret kind of subjective. Well, did did Hector Bayrin kick Eden Hazard? Was that enough to make him? Go, was that a foul or was it just? A, did he just brush against him? You know, this kind of stuff, which is which makes the situation in football more complicated. But if you give them both two challenges and you say, look, you, this is all. This is what you've got. If you've got a problem with the decision, call it. And, you know, if you get it wrong, well, you lose that challenge. Uh, if you get it right, you, you might get a third. You know what I mean? A system like that, that's, that's responsive to the, to the needs of the people involved. That would, that would enable people to feel as though they had more control over the decisions that were happening and to have a greater sense of, well, you know, at least they take away some of that, that sense of burning injustice, which is the whole point of this. It's not about moving, it's getting 98% of decisions right instead of 96. I think the way they've decided to do it is stupid and it's just going to make people even more annoyed. Gabriele is waiting for us, so let's wrap this up. He agrees with plenty, just it's always who's saying it, it's never what's actually said. 90% of anything is who's saying this, and 10% is what are they actually saying. So the 90% in Giles' case is, oh, it's that twat. John is the best football brain in the world. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. I'd never let you do. But if you're talking about the, the, the press, which you're talking about, have this you know, opinion of Guardiola, it doesn't necessarily mean that football people have. Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. The press come and go, as we know. You mentioned Ken Early. Well, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, what can you, what can you do? You can please everyone. Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho have started 2018 off on a war footing with each other. But where did this mutual loathing come from? Gabriele Marcotti, good to chat to you as always. Great to be with you guys. This seems to be, there have been a lot of managerial set-tos over the years. Uh, quite a few of them involving Jose Mourinho. But this one seems particularly toxic to me. Would you agree? Yeah, it just got very nasty very quickly. Um, and, you know, I, I, and I think sort of uh, it got nasty. It got very personal. Um, and, and I think lines were crossed uh, um, really in the space of 48 hours, which, which, which we're, not, we're not used to seeing, I think. Um, or, or certainly, and I wrote a piece about this uh, um, for ESPN, uh, you know, we'd seen stuff like this happen in other countries, um, but but I hadn't, you know, I, I think it's kind of a new thing that this sort of misbehavior that, that we're seeing in the Premier League uh, from managers this year, and uh, you know, I think even a decade ago, um, we, it, it's not something that would have been so readily accepted. Um, how, how do you mean? What, what do you think is is new about this? Surely, this is the kind of stuff we've seen from from one of the participants in this particular thing many times. I mean, you know, calling Arsene Wenger a voyeur and you know various. He's done loads of stuff. It's not new. It's hardly yeah, okay. new from him. Okay, I, I all right. Fair point. Uh, with Mourinho, it's a bit of a 
Uh, you know, M- Mourinho certainly has a history there. But I, I was just speaking more, I guess, I guess more broadly, maybe in terms of, uh, of the way Conte answered back, um, you know, maybe even, you know, putting it out to the fact that, you know, Arsene Wenger got a four-match ban for shoving a referee last year. He got a three-match ban this year for uh, entering a referee's dr- dressing room after a match and abusing him. You know, these are things that certainly in, in certain parts of the continent we don't associate with with English football. We, we sort of tend to have like a, a a pure, more 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 gentlemanly, more sportsmanlike uh, view of it, uh, whereas we certainly associate it with. Uh, the kind of football in, in my own country in, in, in Italy. And, uh, and, and I think it's a, it's a bit of an eye opener there, but yeah, you're right. I, you know, Mourinho certainly has a long, long history there. Did something happen between them in Italy before? I mean, was it was a, because it, I don't, I don't understand why there's such animosity there. Uh, I mean, I, I guess the obvious explanation is that Conte now manages Chelsea, um, the club that Mourinho previously managed and, you know, that annoys Mourinho. Yeah, for some, well, for it some wasn't reason. the cleanest exit of all time. It wasn't. It wasn't a clean exit, uh, sure. But I mean, it, <laughs> equally, it wasn't Conte's fault. What happened? You know, he he. It was months before he arrived. You know, between Mourinho leaving and Conte arriving. So I, I wonder: is there some pre-existing enmity or some uh, some antipathy? Because I, I just don't understand why it's kind of got to this level. Um. No, it's only. Uh, I don't think dates back to uh, uh, to anything that happened when when Mourinho was in Italy. Um, Conte, I think, Conte managed in in Serie B uh, at the time. I mean, he might have overlapped him briefly when he was at Atalanta, and, and then was sacked early in his career. But I don't, you know, I'm, I don't even know that they ever that they ever faced each other. Um, I mean, like, it has to be said, uh, the Conte we saw last season was Conte on his best behavior. Conte prior to that uh, has had, you know, run-ins with with referees, with with other managers, you know, going back to uh, to, to his day as a uh, as a as a player, where uh, he famously got into it with uh, with the Matrix Marco Materazzi, who uh, who, who ended up uh, uh, mocking his hair transplant, and uh, Conte famously said, uh, "Well, at least I can I can get a hair transplant. You can't get a brain transplant, uh, and stuff like that." So. Um, there is a history there with Conte. I think Conte was also, there was also something simmering there, and Conte kind of bit his tongue uh, going back to last season when United played at Sanford Bridge, and I think they lost to 4-0 or 4-1 or whatever. And uh, if you remember, Mourinho lectured him about his behavior on um, on, on, on the touchline. Mm. Uh, at the time, Conte said nothing, but you know, Conte's the kind of guy who likes to let things simmer and, and, uh, and, and fester. Conte call, has called Mourinho, I'm not, this obviously isn't one-sided, but just from Conte's side of things, a little man, a fake, talked about being senile, uh, brought up a, a load of this kind of stuff. But can you actually think that something he said, and a lot of this, well, certainly the the, the senile thing was early on, but the, yeah. the big rant he had after match yesterday is obviously at the weekend, is, has most of the headlines today. Yeah. But it was something else that he said before... Well, what you said on Friday. On Friday, um, yeah, the, the, you think it was quite. So, so it was on Friday. It was on Friday in his his press conference before the the you know for the Norwich game, which was on Saturday, Chelsea Norwich, and uh, and he said honestly, I think this is the most withering thing that any peer has said about Jose Mourinho, which is, uh, Conte said now it's very difficult to do only cinema 
maybe in the past with the cinema it was enough. Now you have to show football knowledge and the cinema is not enough for the coach. I mean, he's basically calling Reno a know-nothing clown who 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 just does stuff for the, for the media. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like an empty, a kind of an empty myth, a guy who uh, just d- does stuff for the cameras, but actually has no idea what he's doing. I mean, that's, I can't remember anyone being so cutting about Mourinho before in, in public. Yeah, um, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, you know, in when you said in public. Um, I, I think there, there certainly is a, a perception out there among, among certain people, certainly on the continent, uh, especially in Spain and, and in Italy as well, that you know Mourinho's strength was in in, in unifying the team and in, in motivating them, um, in in man management. Um, but you know he was never really sort of a nuts and bolts tactical genius uh, by any stretch. I know some ex pros here are like, oh, Jose's tactics is brilliant substitutions, but. You know, I, I'm just telling you how it's viewed um, in, uh, in in other parts, and um, and and so I think, but but you know, you, there was a grudging acknowledgement because he kept winning, and he was so good at the other parts uh, of uh, uh, of the job that you couldn't say much to him. Uh, obviously, this season um, and and at Chelsea last time, and going all the way back to his last season at Real Madrid, you know there's questions about the man management side there's questions about you know the the leadership the unifying a team side and and i think and i'd agree with you i mean i think that's where 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 conte chose to to go and uh go and attack him on um it's uh you're right it is it is pretty withering but you know conte does that too i i remember somebody a, a premier league manager who who I won't name, but uh, is no friend to either one. Uh, probably, probably hates Mourinho more than uh, uh, than Conte. You know, he he once said, and I think this has been widely quoted. Um, you know, Conte is uh, a less intelligent, less charming version of of Mourinho. Um, so you know, Conte can certainly be um, a pretty pretty prickly character uh, himself, especially. When, when provoked, he, he does have he does have temper issues, and that temper was provoked when Jose Mourinho said that he Jose would never be suspended for match fixing. Now, Antonio Conte, as far as we know, was never suspended for match fixing. He was suspended for apparently failing to report match fixing at Siena. Gabriele eventually, after a very convoluted uh, legal process in Italy, that ban was overturned. Was he totally exonerated from that? Has any mud stuck from it? So the um, yeah, I mean you're you're perfectly right. He was uh, uh, his ban was for for failure to for failure to to report match fixing. I mean this was on the back of a very widespread scandal where um, in, in the lower divisions, this was match fixing for for betting purposes. Um, you know stuff like teams agreeing draws and whatever. And uh, there was there was one player who who you know who, who was on tape who was. Basically, a convicted match fixer who, who decided to effectively turn state's evidence and uh, and kind of reveal everything he knew. And he uh, he was one of Conte's players, and he accused uh, Conte of being in the room when a club official came out and said, um, "Guys, we've you know we've already gained automatic promotion. 
um, you know, this game's gonna, this game's gonna just end in, in an easy draw, isn't it? Something to that effect. And uh, because Conte didn't report it, um, he was subsequently banned for eight months, which was then reduced to, to four months. Now, for his perspective, Conte always denied that this was said in the dressing room. Um, there were something like 30 people in the room at the time, and uh, nobody backed the allegation uh, against Conte, or nobody remembers this being, this being said. Um, the only person who, who stood stuck by it was the, was the convicted match fixer who was doing a deal. And I think partly for that reason, Conte, even though he served his time, he took his appeal further in, in a civil court, uh, where obviously the threshold of, of evidence is higher, and um, the civil court fully uh, exonerated him. But of course, the wheels of justice go very, very slowly in Italy. And by that point, he had, uh, he had served his ban. Yeah. Both of these guys are, you know, trailing way behind Pep Guardiola as Manchester City. You know, they're, they're two uh, supreme winners who are kind of confronted with the fact that they're losers for the next few months, at least as far as domestic football is concerned. Um, both of them sort of, they're, they're high burn rate managers. Uh, I mean, I saw there was a report in the Daily Mail last week suggesting at Manchester United, some people are concerned that maybe Jose Mourinho might walk in the summer. While as for Conte, it seems almost um, accepted that he's going to be gone in the summer, even though he's he's really been doing very well ever since he came to England. I mean, he's got as many or possibly more points in the league than Pep Guardiola, and they've been in the league the same amount of time. So, that, I mean, that's how well this guy has done. Uh, if you had to bet, who do you think will be gone first? I would lean towards Conte going first, I think, simply because if if Chelsea do badly, and I mean, whichever way you, you wish to uh, define badly, but let's say, you know, they get nowhere in the Champions League and they don't win a domestic cup and, you know, struggle to, to fourth place or even lower in the Premier League, um, then I think Conte, Conte will, will go. Uh, similarly, though, if they win the Champions League or, you know, they have some, they have a great end to the season and, and it's somehow a triumphant exit, I think at that point he'll go as well. And he'll say, you know, or, or there's a scenario where that might happen. Well, he'll say, all right, my work here is done. And, and he'll move on and, I don't know, wait for uh, Real Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain or, or whatever to, 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 to come along. Um, I think what's been... What's been a bit, you know, Conte came here for an experience. You know, he's he's had it. He's been successful uh, thus far, and and I think that's how he views it. I think with Mourinho, it's a bit different. I think the reality with Mourinho is that he doesn't have that many places where he can go. You know, if he leaves Manchester United, you talked about him walking. Well, where is he going to walk to? You know, what what ecosystem has he been in where you know he hasn't burned bridges? Uh, and, and and that's big enough to satisfy. Well, and, I mean, Paris is the is the obvious one. I mean, I know, I know that you know. There's there's an argument that well, in Paris we're we're trying to uh, you know play kind of Barcelona football and, and Jose Mourinho's football is really basic. But against that, you do have the fact that Mourinho was really really famous and has won the Champions League twice and has won two other European titles besides. You know, he's got more European titles than that club has in its entire history by miles. So I still think that despite his, his kind of, you know, his, his tarnished reputation, he would, they'd still hire him. 
Uh, they might. Um, but by the same token, if you're, uh, I think there's two strong counter arguments to that, uh, or two strong reasons why Mourinho, you know, wouldn't necessarily put his eggs in the Paris Saint-Germain basket. One is that you know his agent George Mendes is very very close with uh, with Nasser Al Khalifi, the, um, uh, the the PSG um, uh, chairman, um, and it's never happened. It simply hasn't happened yet. Uh, despite the pushing for, for a long time. You know, they've never made any concrete steps to sign him or even pretended to. Um, another factor uh, is that, and you can all scoff, but, uh, you know, it's not clear that Paris Saint-Germain will be playing Champions League football next year uh, because of financial fair play. Uh, you know, whether, yeah, okay, I know you're... I just, well, I, you I just, that, that sounds like a scoff to I, me. I just wouldn't put it, it past them to, to find is, some way around that. It's a scoff. Remember, if they if they're found to be in breach, they'd been given every warning in the world. They'd be two time offenders. Um, you know, I, th- I think it is it is a risk that you have to you have to include in the uh, uh, in, in in the equation at this point. But the other factor is if if you're PSG and let's say you don't get punished by financial fair play, um, you can take your pick of of out of work managers out there, and you know. Are you necessarily going to want to go with Mourinho and all that entails when, you know, maybe you can go for, you know, for Luis Enrique, who you, know, you talked about Barcelona style football. Well, he did it and he won a treble at Barcelona or, 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 or guys like that. Or maybe, you know, maybe Pochettino, you know, who, um, who's never won a trophy or whatever. Never won, a, never won a trophy, Pochettino. I mean, he did used to play for Paris Saint-Germain. See, I just keep coming back to the fact that Mourinho is such a big name and that counts for so much with a, with a project like this. You know, just he's the biggest name in, in management still. He is like the, I mean, here we are talking about him. All right, all right, all right. You're going to have to send Pep Guardiola around your house if you keep saying that. Yeah, you know, well, they, 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 would, yeah, they would hire Guardiola, but he's he's not going to be available to them for, for, a, for at least a, a little while. I mean, he is, if, if you're looking for a kind of a big name and, and someone who has delivered it before, he's still got he's still got that going for him, even if there's increasingly yeah, but not that much. I, I think we also need to bear one other thing in mind when it comes to Paris Saint Germain, um, which is that I, I was looking at this the other day. I think, you know, since the takeover, they've had something like, you know, six different directors of football. But the director of football doesn't matter because it's Al Khalifi doing everything. Um we really actually we should say since Leonardo left. In that context, if you have uh, a chairman who's very hands-on on the football side, how will that necessarily go and, and mesh with with somebody like Jose Mourinho, who of course comes along with you know with, with George Mendes, uh, and, you know as sort of an appendage as well? Um, I might that explain why, for example, they kept Unai Emery, you know, last year despite not winning the title, despite getting knocked out in the round of sixteen of the Champions League. You know, why didn't they go and get? a big name manager they had every opportunity to anybody would have wanted to to go and coach that team right so you put these things together i i'm not so sure they they necessarily want the big manager you know they, they've had the big manager um i don't know I, I i go back to this if you're Mourinho, if you leave old trafford there's very very few places certainly at club level there's really only one comparable place uh that you can go and it's Paris Saint-Germain, and that's a lot of eggs to put in one basket. All right, Gabriele, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Emil. My pleasure, boys. Take care. See if you don't get this out with mother, Emil. You're a wee, mate. Your bags and your desk, boom. Your bags and your desk, boom. Boom.
I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, I take no beat, I take no, I take no, I take no beat. Just so soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it, your fans? Just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the gun is booked, I reckon. Stop. Get a grip! The biggest fool in Manchester. Is Conte every bit as culpable as Jose in this incident? Um, Has he been as bad? Uh, well, Jose started it, you could say. Uh, did he start it? I think he did. I mean, he started it this week with the... I don't need to run around like a clown. It's not as though um, uh, Conte has... Never said anything about Mourinho. He he did say we want to avoid the the Mourinho season. He said that at some point, you know, referring to the the dumpster fire twenty fifteen sixteen season uh, that Mourinho led Chelsea to and was sacked halfway through. Um, he and there was the incident that that um, got referred to there of the you know when when Chelsea beat United four 0 and and Conte was winding up the crowd and Mourinho told him not to do don't you don't do that you don't do that at four 0 you don't do that. I feel as though Mourinho is the one who's who's been more the the initiator, though. But I think what Conte is, is saying, you know, don't don't come at me, don't come at me with this, you know, because I, I will come back at you. You know, he there's there's two pretty immature and aggressive men. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about here. Uh, and I I think that that Mourinho possibly regrets having got involved in this and I also don't really see what he's getting out of it like it's it's clearly not to his advantage mm. it's he, I don't see what he's getting out of it this is the guy th- this is not the, the guy at the top of the table the guy at the top of the table is just laughing at, at this nonsense Felipe Coutinho turned up in Barcelona today Dermot Cargan will tell us what sort of a greeting he got hi Dermot uh, hey lads how's it going pretty good thanks 6,000 fans turned up to his unveiling not bad by anyone's standards but hardly mass hysteria I wouldn't say do Barcelona fans realise how good this guy is uh, maybe not. Um, I think there's a bit of just a feeling of inevitability that they've been in for him for so long, and that it, the move had almost was almost went through on its own momentum this month. That the Coutinho wanted to go. A lot of the players at the camp now wanted him to come in as well. Barca wanted it. The board wanted to sign him, especially, and the fans are happy enough to get him. He's seen as a, as a pretty good player, but maybe not a, a world star, not the kind of guy who gets yeah a lot of people to come down to the camp now early in January to to see him. I find that actually <laughs> amazing that yeah. they 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 kind of don't realise what a good player they've got. I mean, clearly somebody at the club though uh, does think this is a priority because otherwise they wouldn't have pushed it through um, in January. I mean, I, I imagine the continuous commercial importance uh, to Nike at least will have been uh, will have been obvious to uh, to the club's major sponsor. Yeah, for sure. Like we saw the Nike had that accidentally or accidental purposes, whatever it was, um, slip with their website last weekend, which showed the, the Nike jersey, Nike Barca jersey with, with Coutinho's name on it. And Nike and Barca have a really close relationship going back a long time to, to Sandra Rosé's time at the club. There's still some people around who who were part of that regime. Rosé himself obviously is gone and has had his own legal problems since with the whole Neymar issue as well. So Nike and Barca are, are pretty tight for in a pretty complicated way. 
Uh, yeah, Valverde as well said last week that he had he had better players already at, at the club. It, it, it is a strange one. Like Coutinho has done really really well in for Liverpool. You know, he's been a, been a star for them. It's a bit of a step up to go to go to Barca and to see whether he would get into the team or not. Now I know he can't play in the Champions League, but even in their their very best eleven, you know, people are, are not really sure where he would fit into it. This is bizarre, Dermot. Really, it sounds as though we're talking about some young unknown Irish lad maybe who's gone over for four million do they really know what, what sort of a player they've got we're talking about Felipe Coutinho they've spent one of the biggest transfer fees of all time and it sounds like nobody's that enthused about the whole thing yeah I, I'm not sure like you guys would see more Liverpool than I would as I you know I'd see bits of their games and, and would have watched some of them in the Champions League and maybe in the, the bigger games against the the bigger teams in in England, he doesn't stand out. He's not like when Suarez went to, to to Barca or when Gareth Bale went to Madrid. They were like the best player by by miles in the Premier League, and it was a case that he they had by being the best player in the Premier League, they had then achieved the standard to play for Madrid or or Barca. If you're one of the better players, or maybe Liverpool's best player among the the, the top players in the Premier League, it do, it's not necessarily the case that you're going to fit. You know, go straight into the Barca team. Someone like Alexis Sanchez at at Barca before at Mesut Ozil at at Madrid are, you know, maybe will be seen from here anyway as being of similar enough quality to, to Coutinho. And they didn't quite make it at, at, at either of at either Camp Nou or Bernabeu. So Coutinho could still turn out to be a, a great player. And you guys obviously seem to rate him very highly. But I'd be among the sceptics wondering how, how it's going to go. And especially at that price, it's, it's a lot of money. Yeah, well, it's 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 a weird. It, it is weird that they would then spend so much money on a player that you know. Oh well, we're not really sure. If maybe this guy will work. Second highest transfer of all time, while well, pending the completion of the Mbappe transfer. I mean, they've now spent two hundred eighty million on Coutinho and Dembele in the last uh, few months, and plus a massive contract renegotiation for Lionel Messi um, because they really had to sweeten the deal for him when when Neymar. Uh, left and you know I suppose Messi saw the 222 million euros coming in and, and he just wanted to have a lot of it he said give me a lot of that of that money so they so they had to do that um, Marca recently reported and I don't know how, how reliable Marca are on these sorts of issues but they claimed that Barcelona's wage bill for this season was going to be 84% of their turnover which is an insanely high okay. amount I mean if it's a, if it if that figure that they've reported is accurate that is an absolutely insanely high uh, percentage of turnover. That's a club teetering on the on the brink of a of a financial meltdown, arguably. I mean, at least according to the conventional wisdom. Maybe you know, maybe the conventional wisdom is wrong. Maybe maybe there's a case that when your turnover is this high, then you can afford to run all the other stuff for the club off sixteen percent of the turnover. This is another huge financial um, outlay that they've made. The transfer fee, the wages for. Coutinho, is this a club that's uh, that that you think is, is is maybe starting to live a little bit dangerously in, in the financial sense? Yeah, for sure. I, I think they are in danger as well. There's a what came out of the the rows that have gone on between the different presidents in the past, between Laporta and Rossi and then Bartomeu. They put a clause into the the constitution of the club which says that the board have to step down if they if they don't beat uh, a, a wage cap or a salary to to wages turn or a salary to turnover ratio and there doesn't look like they're going to beat that at the moment so they looks like they have to really move players on like there's a lot of players on the wage bill at, at the camp now which have been pretty disastrous signings like um andre gomez is on really big wages Arda Turan, both of those costs like 40 million 60 million they were, were really bad signings 
they keep kind of pushing the title up all the time. You know, the Iniesta's contract took a long time before it, it was finally signed. Busquets as well had to come out and say he wanted to move. The latest one is Sergio Roberto, who's who's out of contract, I think, in, in 18 months' time. And he he's, you know, they haven't been able to agree a new deal with him. I think the players, they, the players don't really respect the, the board. I think we might have talked about this before. You know, Bartomeu and the other directors at, at the club are... Are not so much respected by by the by the players. The players don't think they're doing a great job. They wanted to get continue. They they pushed to get continue. Maybe from inside the dressing room, and the board just kind of had to go along with it. And it does put the club into trouble for sure. Dermot, what? Forgetting about squad rotation or anything like that, or allowing Iniesta to play a bit more in the Champions League and uh, continue playing more in the Liga. If there was a Champions League final on tomorrow and he was eligible, would he be in your starting team? And if so, who would miss out? I don't think so. Um, the, the Barca team that played at the Bernabeu just before Christmas with, with Paulinho, who's been a been a really surprise success. I think a lot of people were skeptical last summer when they signed him. You know why they were, were going for this guy, but he he seems to fit in really well with Ernesto Valverde's the way he set the team up. Like they've gone more of a four four two type of a type of a system with, with Messi floating around behind Suarez. Valverde is a very pragmatic kind of coach. He's not a he's not as flamboyant maybe as Guardiola or not as wedded to the the, the kind of Cruyffy, Guardoli type of of tactics that that have gone before. He's a guy who who likes to have his team solid. Coutinho as a as a midfielder who has to do a lot of of work and a lot of running. I don't know whether that that would really be his best position. He's more a kind of a a number ten from what I've seen of him, or a guy who well, does I'd his, say, his best work in the. I'd say, Dermot, that he can he can play he he can play basically two positions or three positions. One is the is the is the position that Lionel Messi is playing in the formation that you're talking about. That's the other taken, is, yeah. yeah, which which I don't, I don't know if he's going to be pushing him out there. He can play wide on the left of a of a three certainly, and probably probably of a, in a four in that system that you're talking about, or that's a kind of a four two three one. Really, he can play on the left of that, but yeah. in midfield he can play. As one of the two more advanced uh, players in a four-three-three, you know he's like a number eight position, and that's probably that's where he's been playing. And I saw today he said, "I'm I'm thinking about playing interior." Uh, okay. So I assume that's this is the position that he's talking about. But it it sounds as though he thinks he's going to play a position that doesn't exist in the formation the Barcelona are currently playing. By which I mean, you know, you're playing four-three-three, and you've got three midfielders, one of whom is is kind of minding the house, and Coutinho is one of the two ahead of that guy and that's not a system that Barcelona are currently playing well you've got if you are playing that system you have Iniesta and you have Rakitic who are who've been playing those roles for a couple of years now Rakitic gets up and down the pitch really well he works really hard he's very important to, to the team Iniesta is, is fading a bit like Iniesta is he's been a great club servant and he's kind of if he's not gone over the cliff already he's getting to to the end of the cliff he's only I think he's only completed the 90 minutes twice all season you know he, he comes in he gets little bits of niggles he comes out again they, they rest and they look after him he's 34 i think at the minute he's not going to go on much longer so i guess in the long term they're they're hoping that he will he'll become the new iniesta like there's been quite a few attempts to find a new iniesta or a new javi for for barca or for different clubs which hasn't gone so well maybe coutinho can you know if he has these couple of months to, to settle in now play the la liga games and and get to know that the system and how, how things work maybe from next season he could be the starting guy in the Iniesta role but pushing out Iniesta is going to be difficult for for a lot of reasons at the camp now and that's maybe his his most likely route into the team Okay a £142 million substitute Thanks Dermot <laughs> Cheers guys He's just a crying big baby But you cannot call it a player 
the baby. Coach. 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 Which is the game you wanted victory, boy? Didn't have a wobble. I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Which is the game you wanted victory, boy? Didn't have a wobble. Well, it's just uh, the nervousness. You look frustrated on the Coach. pitch. Which is the game you wanted victory, boy? Didn't have a wobble. You wanted victory. Well, I want that victory. Which is the game you wanted victory, boy? Didn't have a wobble. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Won against them in the Premiership, and we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby. And you cannot call a player a baby. If you were Ernesto Valverde, Ken, would you find a place for 142 million pounds signing Philip Coutinho in your starting lineup for a Champions League final if it was on tomorrow? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh certainly. Well, I mean, he's clearly better than Iniesta now. You know, whatever about your 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 um, your thinking of is he better than Iniesta used to be uh, I mean I would imagine he's got to have a he's got to deliver a lot more over the next few years to, to get into that bracket but a nearly 35 year old Iniesta I mean I might play Iniesta I'm not saying Iniesta would be the player to miss out but no, I think he'd, I think he'd definitely be in the team I mean the the point is that is is like uh, Suarez didn't just buy the house he signed Coutinho as well you know what I mean he's been saying this is the guy we want. He's been making regular trips back to Liverpool every few months. You know, we <laughs> we were talking about it years ago. Oh, here, look at this. This is so. The, the, this is the longest term tapping up operation that there's ever been. You know, he's been he's been doing this all along. He thinks that he, in the, the the book that he did with Sid Lowe, as far as said that that the signing of Coutinho in the the halfway point of the twelve thirteen season was the reason why Liverpool suddenly became good um, under Brendan Rodgers. It wasn't... That that, that, was, that that was the thing. That was the difference between how they were before. Suddenly, they, they had a guy, he was like the oil that suddenly made this engine start to run. And I think he's been saying for a long time, we should, we should get this guy, you know? And eventually, somebody at Barcelona has, has noticed. See, I, I think it's interesting to talk to Dermot there. I think that in Spanish football, generally, they don't really pay much attention to midfielders in English football. Like, remember Sesk, Sesk and how amazing he was with Arsenal. And then he went to Barcelona and they were like, no, you can't really do what we want. You know, I mean, you, even though you grew up here, you, you've kind of gone off the rails. You've been spoiled by, by going and playing in, in the silly league for, for too long. You're and you've taking an extra touch there. You're taking a third touch. What the hell do you need yeah, that for? You've forgotten what it's all about. It's, you think it's all about, you know, glory, glorious uh, balls over the top and, you know, spectacular assists and, you know, goals and all this kind of stuff. And that's not what midfield play is about at this level. And you've forgotten it. <laughs> and, and and Sesk never managed to really convince them. When he, they, they barely ever played him in midfield. You know, he's playing up front and all this kind of nonsense. And then they sold him back. It didn't work out. And I think that Coutinho's been playing in midfield a lot and they just don't take it seriously when someone excels in, in midfield. I just feel as though Coutinho's been in such a constant upward, like upward trajectory of improvement, um, can do so many things well that I think they'll be pleasantly surprised by how good a player they've, they've signed, even if he maybe is, is, is about to bankrupt the club. Hey, Monday only listeners. Yeah, I'm talking to you guys. Just in case you're not sold and signing up in order to hear Ken 
kick the fags. How about I also told you that you missed the incredible story of Peter O'Connor last week, one of our all-time great athletes who I'm willing to bet you've never even heard of. An Olympic medalist, world record holder. He was arguably the Irish John Carlos or Tommy Smith way back when. Here's what happened when he won the silver medal in the 1906 Olympics. There are three flagpoles for each of the medal winners. O'Connor watches the Stars and Stripes go up. And for him, he watches a Union flag go up. He knows what's going to happen. He's not happy about it. He runs across the flagpole, shimmies off it, rips down the Union flag. Uh, what he travelled with was uh, a green flag with a half Neringo bra on it. Uh, and he basically kind of hangs on, there's a description, go, hangs onto the flagpole and waves this Irish flag around his head. His two fellow Irish Irish competitors are kind of guarding the bottom of the flagpole. Uh, they're approached by members of the Greek army, who do have guns. Um, but it's absolutely critical for a kind of a statement of nationality, of identity, that, damn it, I'm Irish. Damn it, I'm Irish indeed. Incredible story as told by Professor Mike Cronin last week, as we said earlier, for access to all our shows. You can go to secondcaptains.com and sign up for five euro a month plus fat. It takes a couple of minutes, that's all. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Murph. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.